Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Ontario government made a major announcement saying it was going to make changes to speed up the building of affordable housing and rental units. There are a number of sweeping changes meant to speed up the process and make it cheaper to build units. On the surface, it sounds great. But when I talked to Coburg planners at Town Hall, suddenly there was a different picture. The money developers will save could end up on your tax bill, plus your ability to have input on building homes or rental units next door or down the street will be seriously curtailed. Hear how your money and your rights will be affected. I'm so pleased to have with me today Ann Taylor Scott, the Director of Planning and Development for the Town of Coburg, and her colleague Rob Franklin, Manager of Long Range Planning. Welcome to you both to consider this. Thanks very much, Rob. Good afternoon. The Ontario government is proposing many changes to the Planning Act. We have talked previously about some of those changes, and you and I, but now there are even more. When you look at the big picture, and not specifics, but what is your sense of what the government is trying to achieve when it comes to the creation of housing in the province of Ontario? And maybe, Anne, I'll, I'll start with you. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Robert. So the Bill 23 that uh, was released on October the 26th is uh, what they consider an omnibus, omnibus bill in that it, uh, it amends uh, 10 pieces of provincial legislation and acts. And there's really four that I see as being the, the main pieces of legislation that are being changed that would impact uh, impact uh, processes here in the town of Coburg. So the Bill 23 will amend the uh, Conservation Authorities Act. It will amend the Development Charges Act. It will amend the Heritage Conservation Act, and it will amend the Planning Act, um, among other pieces of legislation. Those three areas are going to be changed. Rob, can you help us understand, maybe from a long-range planning, how changing those acts might impact the larger development and the character of a place like Coburg or Port Hope or Brighton or Alnwick Haldeman? Well, within the overall uh, scope of Northumberland, it's, they're, they're quite significant. They're, they're, they're broad-reaching changes, as, as Anne's mentioned, several major pieces of legislation, but to uh, uh, put a few of them in, in, in a nutshell, uh, uh, it basically strips uh, authority from our conservation authority partners, Lower Trent and, and Ganaraska, uh, to the point where they can only comment on, on floodplains, whereas they have been our partners in stormwater development, wetlands, uh, terrestrial uh, um, 
aquatic ecology, hydrogeology. These are departments that municipalities don't have skills in that we have relied on the CAs as, as our partners. And they can't talk about that stuff if this legislation goes through as it's worded. It also drastically impacts uh, heritage properties. Um, for those that are inside districts, maybe not too many changes, but those that are on the fringes or what we call on, on the register, those heritage properties, and we have a couple of hundred of them here in the town of Coburg, uh, they either have to be designated, which is a full detailed heritage evaluation and bylaw for each one in the next two years, or they're gone, potentially removed right off the list and potentially then open for development, which I think is what the province is looking for is more houses built quicker, I think is the, the name of the legislation and, and or built faster. And that's exactly what they're looking at trying to do. Yeah. And one of the biggest changes is the creation of things like up to three residential units on land that would currently be classified for one home in the residential area without needing a municipal bylaw amendment. And can you explain the impact? Yes, thank you, Robert. It's it's certainly a big uh a big issue. Um, I know the province uh, has been working towards this for quite some time. There was legislation released uh, a couple years ago to that effect to basically say that zoning bylaws cannot prohibit uh, that third unit. So um, some municipalities uh, implemented that full full steam ahead. Uh, here in Coburg, it was uh, a more conservative approach um, in that where the where there is permission today to uh, construct a single detached dwelling or to have a single detached dwelling on a lot, there is that ability today to have that secondary unit, whether it's in the basement or a coach house, and provided you get all the, the permits and everything, uh, all the checks and balances play out. So that is a right that is in place for Coburg today in, in those appropriate zones. Now, the province's move is to, yes, allow that third unit as of right and um, it is concerning. Um, I think it's admirable that the province wants to um, address the housing crisis and to get more units uh, occupied to address housing shortages. However, there are, as we know, and can be uh, unintended consequences. So with that third unit, uh, some things to think about um, as planners is parking and where are folks going to park if we allow the the third unit as of right. Um, also servicing. So are, are, do we have water supply and uh, sanitary service capacity to uh, accommodate all those, uh, those toilets flushing, so to speak? Um, so... Well, again, while I think it's admirable, there are those technical items that um, are going to be difficult to address without a rezoning or without a, you know, more thought, more approvals in place. And um, it is concerning, but it's certainly something that uh, municipalities are are going to have to to pay attention to. I also will I will mention that this. The third unit right across uh, across the province also applies to the rural areas. So that um, brings up a whole other host of, of planning and servicing issues where those uh, those units would be utilizing private well, private water supplies and private 
septic systems. So there could be some environmental implications again, some may perhaps unintended consequences. Um, typically in the past, uh, intensification and growth and development is has always been focused on full municipal services, whether it be um, municipal or or shared communal water and wa uh, water supply, sanitary servicing. So I think this this blanket approach for certain ha will have some unintended consequences. And for better or for worse, it's going to be upon uh, municipal planners like Rob and myself to figure out, okay, this is legislated. How do we deal with this? Well, that brings me, Rob, to expand on this and, and talk about intensification. I mean, there's always been talk about existing space and, and using it more effectively or taking what we've got and, and you know, sort of uh, milking it for all it's worth. I mean, I know even the town of Coburg right now is going through an inventory of available lands that maybe we didn't think of before. So this is not a new concept to us. Why, why aren't we popping the champagne and, you know, having a party that uh, this, that we're getting an opportunity to do this over the long range. And I think Anne's brought up some, some of those, those key points of, of what we normally find on our, our standard residential lots is, is the, the larger ones, the 60, 80 foot lots that are in the, some of the, the, the middle, I'll call them the middle aged areas of town compared to the old core or, or the, uh, the newer nineties and, and newer subdivisions. Um, you start putting two and three units in each of those properties, um, it's going to be a, a, a heck of a challenge uh, for street parking. Many of those neighborhoods have got street parking problems potentially right now uh, uh, that I'm sure if you talked to folks on the street, and, and I'd be interested actually, uh, uh, you know, hearing from some of our, our, our new politicians who've been out campaigning and talking to folks in the streets, if those are the kinds of things that have, that have come up as, as they've gone door to door. Um, Certainly, we hear about them occasionally when, when folks put in those those complaints and such about street parking or that kind of stuff. Uh, um, that that raises a major concern, and then our colleagues over in, in uh, um, public works, engineering, uh, the water treatment uh, control plants, uh, uh, water services with lakefront utilities, uh, they're going. We've designed these whole neighborhoods around so many people per household on average. I mean, certainly there's going to be homes that have got more or less. Uh, as they go through the, the 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 family gentrification process from a couple to kids to teenagers to back to the couple to a single person is as as homes go through that that variation and now if you start putting three apartments if you will in each property that's potentially a, a lot more people would make more efficient use yes there's no question but in some cases some of these neighborhoods might have older or smaller size pipes and may or may not be able to handle that kind of load and there's no way really of controlling where and how that development's gonna happen. Right now with our process, a second unit typically can fit now as a right to have three, much more challenging. And the government appears to be wanting to standardize affordable and rentable housing. They are changing a number of the rules and definitions to do this. And this means you know, setting what price uh, of an affordable price is and what is considered an affordable rent. Can you help us better understand, are there any current standards or current uh, rules or definitions that uh, define these? And, and how are, does that contrast with what the government's proposing? I might turn this one over to to Rob. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many definitions of 
affordable rent. So Rob, do you want to take that one? Um, typically it's, it's determined as, as a portion of a household income um, and or when we've been working with the county as our housing services provider, they look at kind of the average sale price and average income price uh, uh, or availability, excuse me, uh, within Northumberland County and using those percentages to determine what is or what is not affordable. Certainly if we look at uh, last year's average house price of up over $800,000 for a home, um, you know, 10% less than that is not still not that affordable for the vast, vast majority of, of, of people who live here in, in Northumberland County currently. So, and then maybe you could comment on this and that would be, is this a good thing? If we set this at a particular uh, level, will that uh, put pressure on developers uh, and those building to uh, create more affordable units that are right now, maybe based on the formula, not so affordable? Yeah, so I don't think the the legislation doesn't prescribe that I can see in the bill um, any further definitions on what would be considered affordable. It still is left to interpretation and meeting certain criteria, whether that's at the county level or a CMHC target. Um, it, it is a bit nebulous at times to to really determine. Okay, what what level of affordability are we targeting when we are speaking about uh, affordable housing? So there's uh, there's CMHC and, and county defined affordable housing, um, but I don't believe that you'll see a um, a provincial definition definition of what affordable housing is, um, as it does vary from from place to place, community to community, and whether it's a one bedroom, a two bedroom, or, or what have you. So is it, just coming back on that, and then um, I, I'm curious if, if, you, if the province does come down and say, look, this is you know 10% less than the, the average house price or 20% less than the average house price, and they do that universally across the province, is that a, is that a good thing for people listening? Would they say, oh, that, that's a good thing? Or is it going to, is it uh, a, you know something that's not so great? Yeah, I think uh, for sure, standardizing something that is difficult to define is helpful. Um, you know, there will still be folks on either side of of affordability if it's defined, and 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 development proceeds as as meeting the definition. They've met all the criteria. It may or may not still, in the eyes of that renter or that purchaser be affordable it's it's so uh it is very nebulous in my in my opinion um but certainly any efforts to standardize that criteria in a community and it does vary from community to community and household income from household income any efforts to do that um i commend for sure rob we talked earlier a bit about some of these legislative changes, and I, I want to come back to that now and, and really explore that. And you were mentioning about uh, conservation authorities and working with conservation authorities. If I was somebody listening and I'm concerned about the environment and I'm concerned about green space and water tables and, you know, you name it, what, how are these changes going to affect our community and why should I be concerned if I'm concerned about the environment? 
or one of the, the, the key functions that municipalities uh, within the levy that we pay towards our, our local conservation authority uh, do is to take advantage of, of some of their, their technical experts that they have within, within their offices uh, to help us understand more about things like groundwater or, or terrestrial ecology. Uh, it's, it's more than what our, our, our town arborist is able to talk about. When you start talking about wood lots or, and wetlands, uh, it's not something that our town arborist, I mean, he understands our, our park spaces and our, our boulevards, for example, and what tree species would be healthy there. But when you look at the kinds of ecology that's around a, a wetland or a, a uh, uh, because we're on a migratory uh, a bird and, and butterfly route, uh, what kinds of things might be required there? That's when we want to go and call up GRCA, for example, or, or Lower Trent uh, uh, for those folks that are that are east. Um, and under, they, they've got the, the, the team within their shops that, that can help us understand that those things at the municipal level rather than trying to bring in a consultant and spend more time or money. And now with the timelines being sped up on approvals that we have to grant or give back the monies uh, to the developers for their application fees, uh, makes it extremely challenging from a municipal level if we don't have access to those kinds of, of partner uh, agencies. And the government also wants to freeze, reduce, or uh, exempt fees for building affordable housing and nonprofit housing. Um, what's going to be the impact of doing that? Thanks. So, yep, one of the pieces of legislation that the this bill is changing, proposes to change, is the Development Charges Act. So there are amendments in this uh, bill that would um, allow for some additional incentives for affordable housing, uh, additional uh, waiving of DCs, and uh, it also limits uh the purpose for which de development charges can be used um, uh, in certain for certain studies or certain uh, uh, capital uh, reports that uh, that development charges used to be collect collecting for, um, so it does change that uh, how we would uh, collect and use our development charges here in the town. Um, the thing to understand about development charges is that uh, growth is intended to pay for growth. So for instance, uh, libraries and fire halls and treatment facilities, um, uh, we collect a development charge for each uh, dwelling unit. Uh, constructed here in the town. So if there is a waiving of a fee for a certain type of housing, yes, that may incentivize a certain type of housing, and in this case, affordable housing, which is a key objective of this bill. Um, however, that um, that money is still required to fund those large capital infrastructure works like libraries and servicing. So to waive it on one hand is great and it's an incentive however that money will have to be made up elsewhere so that may be um, coming at the expense of another development project um, and or perhaps uh, the taxpayer at the end of the day i was thinking of that as you were speaking i mean if i'm a taxpayer suddenly all this affordable housing is going to i'm going to be paying for it out of my taxes if i'm a taxpayer and i'm listening to this what should I be listening for so that I'm understanding just how this could impact me then? And are there other aspects of these changes that are going to impact me? 
Yeah, and it and it might not be um, immediate, but over the fullness of time, um, municipalities um, have to balance the books and and balance competing interests like building parks and community facilities, and all meeting all the expectations of of the the, the residents and the taxpayers. So if there is an incentive out there, whether it be development charges or waiving parkland for new types of development, I think that's great. That's an incentive. However, then it begs the question of, well, how do we plan financially and with you know, the, the land requirements, how do we plan for still keeping up with the demands and providing these these services and parks? So is it a, fa- is it a matter if we're not able to uh, get that through a development application as a condition of approval, then is it a is it a matter of okay we have to make up for that uh, that park that is needed in some other capacity? Do we have to buy land as a municipality for parkland? Um, so again, it's great to incentivize, but then looking at the broader picture, what are the what are the, uh, the consequences and impacts of that change? Rob. The government also wants to remove site plan control for developments of fewer than 10 residential units. Doesn't sound like much, but what? how does that impact things? Uh, it, 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 again, becomes, a, I, I think, a potentially significant uh, uh, change because usually through site plan control is where we work with the developer, work with the builder on understanding the, the, the bigger picture of you're going to be planting some trees in your in your in your front yard. You're going to be plant, uh, providing so many parking spaces for the residents of your new uh, uh, small apartment building. You know, a, a four, six, eight plex. Um, that the big thing is that there's going to be stormwater management put in the parking lot for for that project. Urban flooding is one of the the biggest problems we've got right now. And understanding as we go into uh, climate change and resiliency is understanding our urban flooding. Um, Again, a partnership with the conservation authorities to understand these things. But uh, when we get down to the the nuts and bolts of what's happening in the small parking lots and how much water is then headed to the street, headed towards the creeks. um, Now, unless we have some engineering standard, which can be applied at a building permit stage, which is challenging. I, I don't know that the building code allows those kinds of things to kick in. Uh, becomes very problematic how we're going to be able to deal with things, with those kinds of items. In the 1960s and 70s, we didn't worry about our rooftops and parking lots as much. And you'll see how much water comes off of those sites during a rainstorm. Uh, we've tried to get better with that in the last 30 years, uh, understanding uh, you know what what might happen. It's funny. I mean, we can all think about uh, Elgin and Division Streets in Coburg, which floods when it really pours down really, really heavy. And all of a sudden it's like you're you know, driving through Lake, Lake Ontario. Um, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here, is it not? That's exactly it. As, as, as the creek systems are, and the wetlands um, get overcharged uh, with, with the rainfall or, or a snow melt or you get an ice blockage or, or a beaver dam in the creek or those kinds of things, you're going to get surcharging in, in, in the water courses. You're going to get overland flooding, um, just like the th- kind of things that, that occurred not that many years ago when, when we had heavy rainfalls coming down and, and flooded north of the train station, for example, up George Street North, Buchanan Street areas. That was why we put in a, a, a flood a detention facility up north of there, spent the a considerable sum working with 
provincial partners to, to get some of those monies. And now we can't control those things the same way. Uh, very challenging. And, and one of the biggest things actually from this legislation that um, just from a, a, a democracy perspective is the removal of third party appeals. That means if you're a neighbor, your rights are done. Uh, you have no ability to appeal uh, this legislation. You can come and talk to your, the local council. You can go to the public meeting, make your comments known, but you can't appeal uh, decisions of, of the local council on a new plan of subdivision, for example, or a new zoning change, if they're going to make modifications to a property next to you. The only one that can appeal is a public body, lakefront, uh, uh, Conservation Authority, the rail lines, MTO for think projects near the 401, or the applicant themselves, if they find a condition is, is not to their liking, those are the only things that be going to the Ontario Land Tribunal. If you're a neighbor, uh, your rights potentially, if the wording stays as it is currently drafted, uh, could be gone. And I, I have a real problem with that as, as, a, as, as a planner. I also understand that the Rob that the Ontario Land Tribunal, um, which which most people uh, would know, uh, was the former uh, Ontario Municipal Board or the OMB. It's it's changed now. The name's different and it has more responsibility, but it's the same body. They're looking at, at making faster dispute resolutions, um, and and I guess you know not only does it is it the local people uh, that are going to be you know the neighbors and the people in the neighborhood that are going to be impacted by because they can't speak up you, you also can't go to the you know a municipality can't go to the OMB or you know if the developer takes the the, the municipality to the OMB then is is justice going to be served or is it just going to get flushed through and the developer's going to win every time i i guess could you comment on that Really challenging. I, I mean, uh, um, I, I, I take great pride in trying to listen to neighbors when they when they talk about answers. Uh, uh, it, it's part of actually the the ethics that the pl urban planners uh, in Ontario work under. That um, it, it may not necessarily be each and every comment, but we need to hear them and understand those bigger issues. And in some cases, different legislation or different priorities can trump uh, a specific uh, concern or complaint. But we have to have the opportunity to hear them and try to incorporate them and try to, uh, I mean, if we can get some more fencing or hedging or trees planted to try to help hide things or buffer or screen, those are the kinds of things we look at, not just maximum development uh, uh, too close to neighbors, for example. That's the stuff that we take uh, uh, great pride in trying to see how can we incorporate uh, development into and keep a small town feel. That's the whole thing that makes Coburg Coburg. And I guess too, uh, just, uh it's it's so important. We talk about these things today, but uh, if this gets passed and a year from now somebody has a complaint or a concern, all this will become very very real when you can't go and and you can't be heard. So it, very interesting, Rob. Very interesting. And I, I want to come back to you now. And, and when I was reading through the changes, it appears the provincial government wants to move some of the responsibility for land use policy and approval to lower tier municipalities like Coburg and Port Hope and Hamilton Township from the upper tier municipalities like Northumberland County. Is that a good move? Yeah, I know. Um, I know uh, part of the uh, amendment, part of the bill. Um, 
would remove some of that, some of those upper tier planning functions, um, and specifically the the larger D GTA upper tiers, like the uh, GTA uh, regional governments. And um, I know in speaking with some of my colleagues in the planning profession in those upper tier governments, um, they also have some significant concerns about whether or not they will have work um, because of this uh, removing the planning function at those upper tiers. Uh, now, to my knowledge, that does not impact us here in, at the county. Um, uh, so, um, but it does impact uh, those those larger upper tier planning uh, planning departments uh, just to the west of us. Rob, uh, there's a proposal within the legislation as well for cracking down on land speculators. And I, I know if you drive around any municipality, Coburg, Port Hope, Brighton, go out into the into the rural areas, you'll see half built or started projects, and then you'll see nothing for a very long time, or uh, and maybe they don't even start up again. Um, is the crackdown on land speculators something that will help with this problem, or is it going to what what is that going to actually do? A, a lot of that, I, I think, gets into some of the, those big projects more, more to the west of us, where um, you get projects started, and and some of it, I think, is with some of these uh, condo deposits and, and appeals and people who walk away from projects. Um, I, I, we haven't had much of that kind of, of of thing happen this way, but to really try to uh, help limit that or, or put those those costs back to those who who bore them. Um, I mean, if someone sells you something, you you expect to actually receive receive that 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 service or or, or that new house or apartment or townhouse or condo or whatever it happens to be. Um, so whether it's a deposit now and and then all of a sudden people you know leave with the, with, with with these these base monies, and I think that's trying to protect uh, um, those folks with those large projects more to the west. Uh, there really hasn't been a, a lot of that uh, out this way. If I'm listening today. What should be a, a takeaway that you think is positive about these changes? Some of the clarity around development charges for affordable housing is, is being spelled out clearer. Uh, uh, Coburg in particular has had, a, uh, I, I hope to think that we've had a good history working with our NGOs and, and, and not-for-profit groups that are putting forward affordable housing that Coburg Council in the past has tried to do a lot of these same things. Now it's not going to be that we have to try or go through sp special approvals that for those few projects uh, uh, that come forward trying to get more affordable housing that it's as a right that they're going to have development charge relief or, or uh, uh, permit reductions in fees. I think that that is a positive. As we've talked about previously, we may need to find out where that, that, that money needs to come from at the end of the day when we want to put in an expansion on the water uh, treatment plant or something like that. But uh, uh, I think that's that's positive that that's, it, that those folks will know that they can move forward with some some clear financial security. And what would you point out as being something I should walk away with and be thinking about going forward? I think for uh, the homeowner and the residents, I think they're are opportunities to to work with uh, town planning staff on on uh, looking at the uh, addition of a secondary unit or two on on properties uh, where it makes sense and where some some of those uh, technical items uh, uh, 
can work. Um, so I think I think that's a positive. Um, I think uh, the amendment to um, reduce some of the third party appeals, I can see the intent of that um, to address some of the, the NIMBY um, appeals where someone may not, just not like a certain development or a certain project. I think uh, there, there's a, a positive move in that direction. However, it does, uh, to Rob's point earlier, it does simply just remove appeal rights altogether. Um, so perhaps that could have been more flushed out, like, okay, um, you need that valid planning concern um, versus uh, perhaps a more frivolous appeal. Um, so that I can see as a, a positive and a negative at the same time. Um, and increasing the housing supply, I think some of the financial changes um, have to be uh, assessed more deeply because on the surface it may seem and be a very good incentive. However, um, there are, are trickle-down effects and uh, who picks up the slack for that, that financial incentive on the other side. Rob, going forward, what's next? Well, I guess it's trying to see how quickly the government, provincial government is going to move forward on this legislation. Uh, some legislation, they seem to move forward extremely quickly. Others, uh, they put a draft out more for comments just to see uh, what kind of red flags or bombshells it, 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 uh, it, it deals with. Uh, and they take some time on it. Um, obviously, my hope as a professional planner here in Parliament County is, is that this one gets a, a, a big second look and some redrafting before it comes back for final approval. There's some potential positives. I, we certainly understand trying to get more homes for folks uh, uh, and bringing those costs down, um, but building them at the expense of a fair, a fair amount of, of, of rights and privileges we have here in Ontario is, is not necessarily the way we want. I, I would think we would want to go. And Taylor Scott, Rob Franklin, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. That was Ann Taylor Scott, Director of Planning and Development, and Rob Franklin, Manager of Long Range Planning. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.